You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour four of The Big Show rolling on on your Monday live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement, we have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Uh, big uh, big weekend here in Canada, obviously for the for soccer. CPL final went down in Hamilton. Uh, not not great game. Obviously. It was a great game. It was an amazing game, but not a great result uh, for Calgary's team, Cavalry FC, as they fall in the CPL final to Forge. Uh, I do a little soccer chat here with Peter Galindo, uh, contributor on Sportsnet.ca and uh, host of the Northern Football Podcast. Peter, thank you so much for taking time this morning and uh, chatting with me. How you doing? Yeah, happy to come back on. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, no problem. I think uh, we, if we were waiting for Pete Concacaf uh, in the CPL, we got it there with that final on Saturday. <laughs> uh, absolutely legendary game. Lots of chances for Cavs uh, to to end it there in uh, in regulation time, but. Uh, become extra time. They get the first goal, obviously, with Ali Moosey uh, with a with a wonderful goal there in the 107th minute. But then mm-hmm. uh, two unbelievably, well, the first one really, really amazing. And then that second one, I don't think you could ever see that happen again, especially to win a final. Uh, you were there at Tim Hortons Field. Uh, talk about the scenes, man. Yeah, I think it was one of disbelief <clears throat> when Tristan <laughs> Borges scored the, the winner, especially um, because, I mean, how often do you see an Olympico yep. scored, let alone <laughs> a winner, and then let alone almost a carbon copy of Benny Badi Bonga's equalizer pretty much minutes prior as well? Like, everyone in the stadium was, whether it was the media, whether it was the Forge fans, whether it was employees, whoever it was, were just kind of stood there in just pure amazement, disbelief, and and honestly kind of thinking to themselves, you know, the CPL's mantra is bangers only. And we got three of them in that game, which look, if you're a Forge fan, you're loving it. If you're a Cavalry fan, you're, you're kind of left thinking, Mm -hmm. man, sports really does suck sometimes (laughs) because you can play so well, you can execute your game plan to perfection. And then you get undone by two just unbelievable goals. We can talk about maybe whether, Cavalry could have done a little bit more to to have stopped at least one of them, whether Marco Carducci yeah. could have done more, or they could, they could have set up maybe with men at the back post to possibly deal with it, but at the end of the day, you hold your hands up and say, I mean, you, you, you tip your hat to Forge, and you tip your hat to especially Benny, Benny Bonga and, and to Tristan Borges for that. Yeah, it, it felt like with the Borges one, with the Olympico, I felt like that was intentional. It felt like, I'm going to put this goal, yeah. this ball, right into the back corner where either Marco Carducci can't touch it, nobody can get it. Like it, he didn't, it didn't even feel like he was. He's looking for one of his players. No, and you know it's funny. We we were asking him after the fact, trying to get him to admit if if he basically if he meant it, right? If it was on purpose, <laughs> and he kind of stood there with a big grin on his face and and kind of went, oh, "I'll let you guys decide that," and and kind of making us realize, yeah, you definitely meant it on purpose. Um, and we also asked uh, Bobby Smirniotis, I think minutes prior. Um, sort of whether <laughs> whether he, he could have even thought that that could happen. And he actually pointed out that um, Marco Carducci's back post, they identified that as a weak area. And, yeah. and I mean, I have to agree, that's pretty much the one reason why I didn't vote for him as goalkeeper of the year, mm-hmm. even though he's, he's been... a tremendous shot stopper. He's great with the ball at his feet. When it comes to claimables or crosses, he can be quite 
suspect in that area. And maybe that's possibly why Charlie Trafford at the same time as when the Olympic goal was scored, tried to get ahead to that ball because Mm -hmm. he thought, well, we conceded once this way. Um, The ball's headed to the back post. We don't have a man there. I got to get something on this because maybe Marco won't be able to. And he ends up kind of bumping Marco a little bit and they both end up missing out on it. And that goal goes in. So, um, you know, it, it, it is interesting that, uh, that Forge kind of identified that. And given their problems scoring off of corners, they end up getting <laughs> two of those kinds of goals off of corners. What a way to get it. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the to the, to the first game in the playoffs where, you know, the, the Becker corner, uh, Carducci punches it off Jesse Daly's head and it goes into the back of the net. That one doesn't happen. Right. Maybe that final's in Calgary on Saturday. Just just a, a yeah. crazy, uh, crazy turn of events uh, leading up to that. And Forge, again, their fourth title in the five years of the CPL's existence. Uh, Tommy Wilden Jr., he mentioned uh, a little bit there bef- uh, before the game, he, he mentioned that the, the, C- the CPL final was, was it was a bonus to Cavalry, that they, mm-hmm. that, you know, CONCACAF was still achieved, that they won the league, the, the overall regular season title, they're still going to CONCACAF. I know out here, maybe in the fan base, they didn't really, they didn't take too kindly to those comments of, of maybe treating that game as a bonus. And I, I didn't think that the team approached it as a bonus. I thought Cavs were, were majority the better of the team uh, for the majority of that game. But did, how did you read those those comments there pregame? You know, I think it's pretty typical from coaches in those positions, whether it's in MLS and you win the supporter yeah. shield and you go into the playoffs and they ask you, oh, what would it mean to win MLS Cup having already won the supporter shield? Or in this case, in the CPL, you won the regular season. What would it mean to win the CPL final? I feel like it's a, it's probably just a bit of a tactic. I'm sure in his head, he still knows. I mean, Tommy's a smart guy. He knows that this is still a final. It's a big deal. You're playing forge really the class of the league in the five years that's existed. You're going on the road. Um, You've played them really well. Most of the season as well. Um, You know, it's still a big occasion for sure. Now, if you lose it, yeah, it, it sucks, but you still did achieve a lot. You won the regular season by 13 points. You qualified for the, for the CONCACAF Champions Cup for the first time, especially given how they kind of got screwed out of it in 2019 um, with mm-hmm. that mid-season rule change, which saw Forge go in, and then we know what ended up happening for the next few years because yeah. of that. Maybe, who knows, maybe Calvary could have been in this position. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that those were almost intentional, kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit. Um, be, and, and, I mean, you, you saw as well he, he mentioned that they were going to go out there to win the game and kind of play on the front foot and they did exactly that and you got to tip the hat to tommy wielden jr and to the players for carrying that out because in open play they gave forge nothing yep. they generated 10 shots in the opposition box um and that doesn't include some really quality chances that for example willie akio missed at the back post in the second half off that mm-hmm. ali moosey cross um you know obviously if, if you're picking between one of the teams and you're parsing through the game and you try to determine, well, who was the more deserving, let's say, winner on the the night? You would say it's Cavalry, just with the amount of chances that they produced. And you even look to that kind of point-blank Tristan Henry save right before the disallowed goal is scored by Forge. Um, Like, that was a glorious opportunity in in itself. And their crosses were magnificent all game. Like, they were really troubling Forge most of the game. It's just, that's why I kind of felt really, really bad for... First of all, Charlie Trafford, who came up to the podium after the game, and then for Tommy as well, Mm -hmm. because when you play that well in a final, you do everything you possibly can. You take the lead uh, in extra time. Then you concede those goals the way you do in extra time minutes later. 
um, all you can really do in that situation, if you're Tommy or, or Charlie, is just say, I mean, that's 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 football, that's sports. Yep. You know, it, yep. it happens. It sucks, but you know, they can still, if we're looking at consolations, they can still come away from that game being very proud of the effort, being very proud of the fact that they were the better team on the day. They played on their terms. And sometimes as a coach, that's kind of all you really want yep. to see from your players is the effort and the fact that you carried out the game plan to perfection. And, and if the result doesn't come. It sucks. But at least you can see on the basis that we can actually play this way. We can do it. It's just on this day, we, it wasn't our, our lucky day. Uh, Forge's dynasty now here. That's four and five now. Uh, Bobby Smyrniotis. What, what's his future? Is it still like, hey, I'm, I'm going to still try and, and bring Forge up? I think it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, these managers, obviously, they want to see the CPL grow and they want to have this league become great. But like, does he, is he, is he feeling like as an MLS team, an option? Like he's shown he can win here and he's brought Forge up. He's got them into, into CONCACAF. Like just where's his future lie? It's interesting, too, because we asked him after the game what his future would be. And, you know, he, he tried to be as noncommittal as he possibly could, but he still let slip that. And, and I think that this is sort of what he's preached to the club over the last five plus years is that you still have to be ambitious. You still have to be striving yep. for more. And he kind of left the door open in terms of, hey, if an offer comes, uh, you know, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't at least entertain it. Right. And that is really what's going to be curious here over the next few months because himself and, and Tommy, for that matter, like they both have very good deals, right? They have great control at their respective clubs. They've been very successful on the pitch. Um, sure, Forge might have the trophies to show for it, but Cavalry has been the best. I believe they are still top of the all-time regular yep. season table among all CPL clubs. Um, and they've all developed some tremendous players. I mean, look at the amount of players who've, who've gone on to leave Cavalry and have cracked the mm -hmm. national team or have gone to Europe. I mean, that's down to the work that Tommy has done. You look at the work that Bobby did at Sigma and now at Forge. Um, like that, that also can't go uncredited either. So like not only are they solid developmental coaches and in Bobby's case, he has the success to show for it. And he's brought Forge to heights that I don't think anybody really thought a CPL club could hit yeah. in five years. Um, he would be, and, and I do acknowledge him and, and credit him for saying this, he would be doing himself a disservice if he really didn't at least entertain the other offers. But if the, if, if the deal isn't there, if he doesn't like something, he, he can be comforted knowing that he still has a really good situation at Forge for the next little while, and he can always wait it out, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we just uh, finished up the five years of the CPL. Obviously, there was a, there was a pandemic year, so maybe it was a a four-and-a-half type year. They had the Island Games that was still, we were still very proud that they were able to play out in Charlottetown in 2020, and then they had the half year in Winnipeg. But how's the health of the league? I think it's it's been trending up attendance-wise uh, in most markets. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of concern in York. Obviously, you mm -hmm. lose a, you lost the franchise in, in Edmonton last season, but you, you welcome a club in, in Vancouver this past year. Or is, is expansion still on the radar? I know the Saskatoon Stadium maybe uh, fell out there a little bit, but like, Health of the league, it's, it's strong. Like, where's York? Is that market really important to the CPL? It, it seems to be, for sure, because I think they're trying to do everything they can to keep the team in the GTA. Yeah. Um, and and you, you see that with the Woodbine Stadium project and that they mm -hmm. want to move there. That is actually, I, I think, a really big advantage uh, for the prospective owners of York, whoever that ends up happening to be, because at least you have some sort of a plan 
to leave York Lions Stadium, where York University still has major control over everything. Like, I, I understand that they still have um, some control in terms of, like, what concession stands can be there. Wow. They get cuts of, 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 of things, right? So, so that obviously handicaps you. Whereas if you go to your own venue... Um, you are able to have way more control over all that. You're able to bring in more money, and that is clearly very helpful. So I do think that the league is committed to it. What I will give credit to for the commissioner, Mark Noonan, is he has been very methodical and I think measured in how he has handled, first of all, the York situation. The league intervened right away. They didn't let the situation drag on. Um, they, they tried to find the solution. They're still trying to find the solution. And same thing with expansion as well. They, they want to make sure that there isn't a repeat of what we saw in Saskatoon and that there is yeah. a proper stadium plan in place, that the owners are committed, that um, you know there's not going to be any sort of hiccups. And that is why I'm actually more optimistic about the league's future with Noonan in charge, because you can see that there is a plan, that there is some sort of strategy behind it. And when you look at the improving quality on the pitch, when you see the amount of players that are being exported to other leagues, you've got CPL alumni like Joel Waterman, like Lucas McNaughton and Victor Loturi mm -hmm. crafting the national team, Dom Zatora as well. Um, after five years, like if, if we had said, okay, you're going to have an 18 league, um, you know, there's, there's going to be clubs competing in CONCACAF tournaments. You're going to be exporting players to, you know, European leagues to MLS. You're going to be getting transfer fees. Those guys are going to be getting national team opportunities during with a pandemic affecting basically two seasons because yep. 2021 it started in Winnipeg fans couldn't attend certain games until certain times of the year as well. So that kind of handicapped mm -hmm. things and we're still being able to produce all this. You would have absolutely taken that. So I, I am still quite optimistic about the future of the league. Even if there are some problem areas, I think that comes with any new league. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty confident with Noonan in charge and, everybody involved in the league that it's it, it's going to still keep rising like, i don't think we're thinking like big success for for forge and cavalry once they get into the the concacaf champions cup but what could a, a decent run do for the league like you know you you maybe win your first match depending obviously who you're drawn against they'll be they'll be the lower end of the of the seeds but like just how, what what could a, a good run in the in the in this domestic tournament do for for the cpl I think as long as they're competitive yeah. and, you know, I mean, I mean, we, we saw it with Forge, they beat Olympia at home and, and that's a, you know, yeah. really big hunter and club. Like yep. they are very successful. They've made runs in the champions league in the past and they were able to beat them at home. If you can get results like that, then that's a massive step in the right direction for sure. Now, it, again, as you said, it depends on the draw see who, you know, what time of year it is as well, yeah. because, We've seen in the past that, I mean, even look at Forge going down to Cruz Azul when they were still in the middle of their offseason. I think they were two months away from, from kicking off their, their season. And you could see it, right? It showed. Like, yeah. they were still quite unfit. They, they weren't quite as sharp as they could have been. You, you wonder if they were in midseason in the summer, and, and this is kind of the benefit of the altered format, mm -hmm. is that you're going to be getting the North American teams, specifically the American and Canadian teams, in their midseason rhythm, that could actually change a lot. So as long as they're competitive, as long as they, I think if they can get a result at home against maybe a non-Liga MX side, I think that that could actually do wonders. And actually we, we spoke to, to Tommy and, and Bobby on the podcast just before the, uh, the CPL final. And Tommy was explaining how, when he was watching certain games in MLS and in Europe that, 
um, the things that he sees tactically, he says that they work on this every single day in training. So, you know what? Honestly, they could even maybe cause a bit of an upset or two. Who knows? I mean, but both of these teams, because you can see that what they do tactically is mimicked in, in some leagues outside of North America even. So that's, uh, that's a pretty nice tidbit there. Yeah, we'll know where those two are going on December 13th when they do the draw for the 24 clubs that will be in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, new format and everything. We're talking with Peter Galindo, uh, football contributor on Sportsnet.ca and the Northern Football Podcast. MLS playoffs opened up uh, this past week and weekend. Uh, new format, kind of like a best of three type thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitecaps, the lone Canadian side that made the uh, the MLS postseason, and boy, they got smoked uh, by the defending champs there, LAFC, in game number one. What did you see there? Simply put, you, you can't be spotting LAFC four set-piece goals <laughs> in the same game. Like that, That's really what it comes down Like I mean, we can talk about anything tactical, what have you. Like that is just inexcusable. And I was looking earlier in the season because the Whitecaps have had problems dealing with this, not just set pieces, defending set pieces, but aerials in general in their own box for most of the season. I think for the summer period, it it got better. They they were able to mitigate that somewhat. Um, So I remember maybe 10, 11 games into the season when they were still having problems with this. I looked at the Whitecaps center backs in terms of their aerial success rate in their own box and Ranko Veselinovic who anchors that back line, who is the tallest of the center backs on the pitch. Usually he is in and around 51, 52%, which is below average for what a center back should be producing in that category. Javane Brown, who's a right back playing right center back. Um, he's below 50%. I think he's in and around 45%. And you look at the first goal, he's kind of culpable for not being able to win that initial aerial duel with Ryan Hollingshead. So he's at the bottom of the list. The number one center back in aerial success rate in his own box for the Whitecaps this season is Matias Laborda, who is their major offseason defensive signing, yet he doesn't start. And he hasn't actually started a lot of games this year where you look at the Whitecaps defensively, and really their two biggest problems are probably a lack of pace at center back Mm -hmm. and then defending in the air, especially in their own box. And Laborda has both of those qualities that could at the very least maybe patch over some of those issues. And he doesn't start in, in this game where LAFC have a lot of aerial threats, as we know, and you're playing them on the road. You are conceding set piece after set piece and you are conceding loads of chance. Cause I mean, Yohei Takaoka made a couple of saves initially off the first headers, but then no one is there to clear the rebound away. And, and you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. similar to hockey where like, let's say, uh, you know, goaltender makes a really good save in the slot, but then no one is putting bodies in front, and then all of a sudden, untouched, someone is able to put away the rebound. Very similar situation where Laborda could solve all of that. So, look, Danny Sartini might have his reasons. You go back and you evaluate your selection, and look, coaches will make mistakes in that regard. They hold their hands and say, mea culpa, with hindsight, maybe I should have started him, but it's happened far too often this season to the point where you have to ask, if this is clearly a weakness for your side, why aren't you putting in what looks to be a very simple solution in someone who can at the very least win you a few more aerial duels in your own box. And then instead of going down five, two, maybe it's two, two, maybe it's three, two, you're three, two down. Sure. But you're still in the game. You can maybe still get something from the game. It could make all the difference. And that's probably the one thing that as much good work as Vanny Sartini has done in his tenure as Whitecaps coach. Mm -hmm. 
that's the one area where you look at it and think, okay, why is this still persisting? What, why is this still an issue? And, and it certainly costs them in that first game. Um, Christine Sinclair, uh, she reti- announced her retirement uh, about a week and a half ago. She played her first uh, first of the four uh, final matches there against Brazil, getting ready to, to play another one. What, what's her, her legacy going to end up being here with the Canadian national team? Obviously, it's just been... Uh, one of the greatest international superstars in the women's game of all time. Where does Canada turn to now? Obviously, they've got a, a good, obviously, young group uh, going forward that can be competitive, that can be atop uh, the world, hopefully, obviously, defending gold medalists, going to try to defend that next year in Tokyo. But like, who are some of the players that, that, that can be like, okay, well, there's the next Christine Sinclair, or will there ever be uh, another Christine Sinclair, and like, it's going to be forged in a different way? Yeah, obviously when you're dealing with generational talents, whether it's Christine Sinclair, whether it's Lionel Messi, you can go down the list. The chances of us seeing someone like this again, at least a Canadian, um, like they're obviously going to be low because she's the all-time international Mm -hmm. uh, goal scorer, right? And and, and that's wild to me that a Canadian holds that honor. Um, And in terms of her legacy, you kind of already see it in terms of the amount of players who are coming through into the national team setup. And they, they'll always be asked who was your idol growing up or, you know, who do you model yourself after? They all say Sinky, Christine Sinclair, or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the answer is. Right. And you can already see what her legacy is, even with this current crop of players, you can't imagine what it's going to be over the next 10, 20 years from now, if it's already kind of bearing this fruit. And I think that's the big thing is that she, she let Canadian footballers, young Canadian footballers believe that, Hey, you know what? I too can be at the top of the mountain. If I just set my mind to it, if I work hard, if I, you know, just take every opportunity that I can um, because she set the standard and players are trying to follow that. And that's probably her greatest legacy for, for probably the next X amount of years. Um, Canada's in a good spot right now. I, I mean, obviously they did change systems, against Brazil and we saw a bit of a tweak against Jamaica, which bared a lot of fruit in terms of just open play chances mm-hmm. and this free flowing attack that we hadn't seen in quite some time. It is curious that they switched. Maybe they're just trying to experiment a little bit. They have two games in the window. So maybe Bev Priestman switches back for the game in Halifax. Um, but you, you kind of saw them revert to kind of the old ways in terms of, they just didn't really look that sharp in attack set pieces were solid. Um, probably could have scored off of one of them late before Brazil ended up taking a late win. But mm-hmm. that, that's probably the one thing that I'm going to be looking at over the next few months is how are they going to set up tactically? And is it going to be more of what we saw against Jamaica or is it going to be more of what we saw against Brazil where uh, sure defensively you're still solid, but in terms of the attack, you're just not creating much. Uh, the men's team, uh, they're a bit in a transition period, obviously uh, leaving John Herdman and heading towards uh, Mauro Biello as the interim, and, and who knows what's going to happen after that. And they're they're hitting a, a window here. They've got uh, Jamaica, very important uh, games against Jamaica this next month uh, to, towards the uh, to try qualify for next year's Copa America. Uh, how is this period? Is it, is it just like we're trying to see like, some of the younger guys? Is it time to maybe give some of the older guard, uh, you know, not as much playing time as, as Canada moves in this transition period? And and could Mauro Biello be the uh, the future manager of this club? Or is it just like, I'm just here to, to just do my thing, and then once Canada makes, you know, the Copa or get into 2024, uh, they, they hire somebody new? Yeah, I'm sure it depends on results, but he's for sure in the running. Um, he's a Canadian coach. He's 
used to managing big egos. He coached the likes of Didier Drogba at Montreal, so mm-hmm. he's no stranger to, to dealing with personalities like that. Um, tactically, having worked with him in a couple of camps, very astute coach, super passionate about the program, which does matter, of course. The players are already familiar with him. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be in the running, especially if results go his way. Um, but when you look at this upcoming window, I'm sure that for the next few months, whatever the result is in November, it's still going to be very much about trying to reestablish the chemistry. So you're probably still going to see a lot of the usual suspects. One or two names might, might be able to crack their way into the, the regular 11, mainly a potentially goalkeeper. We could see potentially a, a bit of a system change, and that could unlock the door for someone like Liam Miller, who had a really good gold cup, um, to maybe crack the 11 on a regular basis. But I think in general, it's going to be very much a case of just trying to get everybody back on the same page because that game against Japan sort of showed us why um, having that long of a layoff can be really detrimental because it was just individual mistakes really that, that cost Canada in the game. And, and you wonder if with maybe more sharpness with mm-hmm. maybe not traveling all the way to the far East and having to deal with a 12 hour time difference and um, you know, everything else that came with it, if maybe with more match practice, you kind of put it all together. And J- Japan is one of the most informed sides in the world too. So you also have to keep that in mind, but Jamaica's not going to be, really uh, uh, an easy test at all because, I mean, we talk about all the recruitment that's happening with Canada and dual nationals. Jamaica's been having a field day over the last year. Um, Like they've... Mikhail Antonio. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, Mikhail Antonio, Leon Leon Bailey, Bailey, uh, Bobby DeCordova-Reed, Damari Gray, I know he's now in the Middle East, but really you look at that front four and that's a Premier League quality front four. All of them are or were, in the case of Gray, starters for Premier League sides. And that's why you look at this and say they are capable of punishing you if you make mistakes. Whereas if you look at games against Panama, for example, they're very well organized. They're well drilled. Thomas Christensen is a wonderful coach. Um, But if you were to describe the game in June against Panama in one sentence, it's Canada had Jonathan David and Panama didn't. Right. And it was such a closely contested game, but Canada got the one half chance. They had the individual quality to put it away. Whereas if you play a game against Jamaica in a similar fashion, they will also have the individual quality to put it away. Center back might be a bit of a question mark for them. Um, and they haven't kept a clean sheet. I believe it's in four straight games. And that was in nations league against opponents that they would probably be expected to dominate. Yeah. So that could be maybe a bit of an opening for Canada there. Um, but it's, it's certainly going to be a tricky test and, and it's going to be fascinating to see how, uh, the selection shakes out and, and whether we're going to see a team that kind of is able to gel again, or if they're still going to have a, a, a bit of uh, for lack of a better term, discombobulation, like we saw against Japan. Uh, Peter, thank you so much uh, for, for talking a little footy with me on this Monday where, uh, what are you doing uh, over at Northern football podcast? Anything you want to share with us? Yeah. So we're going to recap the CPL final from the weekend. Uh, going to also dive into the, uh, the Whitecaps performance. We're going to preview a little bit as, as it gets closer. Um, the men's national teams window in November, what the selection could look like and talk about the women as well. So pretty much everything uh, Canadian football that's happened over the last couple of weeks, we'll be sure to cover it. So check it out. Peter, you're the best. Thank you very much, buddy. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll check up uh, ahead in the, sometime in this offseason. I know transfer season is going to be coming up here very soon. I'm sure there's yeah. some Canadians on the move uh, as well. Thank you very much, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, happy to do it. Fun as always.